0: sitting alone in a discreet wine bar in Ginza, Tokyo. The sommelier had brought him a glass of champagne as he waited for his guest to arrive. His palate, having been honed by Jing's expert guidance, noted that it was a glass of Dom Perignon vintage 1996. The sommelier was suitably impressed and complimented Rio on his impressive palate and knowledge. He was happy for a second. Then he was sad. And angry again. That cunning Ken, he planned it all along. Ryu was finally getting over the pain of being dumped mysteriously by his dream woman, Jing, until he saw a picture posted on the Japanese embassy chat group. His former colleagues in Singapore were making fun of how the basement-dwelling spy hunter Ken had suddenly transformed into, well, a normal person. The picture was taken at a fancy restaurant. A nathalie-dressed Ken was enjoying a glass of wine in the company of a gorgeous woman. Eh? Nani What is this? A started real scream when he took a closer look at the picture. The restaurant was the Dango Restaurant. And the gorgeous woman was Jing. He ran crying to his influential father, who on seeing how much pain his precious son was in, vowed to avenge this terrible injustice. He made a few calls and told Ryo that he had found the right person from the ministry's much-feared internal audit department to handle it. As a sign of respect and thanks for his help, all Ryo needed to do was to meet him for a quick chat over a bottle of good wine. His father had picked the club and paid for the wine. Apparently, they had a twisted history. He was Ken's former boss and subordinate. His father informed him. Ryo was confused, but at that moment, such details didn't mean much to him. All he wanted was revenge. What's his name? Hashi-san. Like, chopsticks? Hi, my name is Cheek, a film and TV writer, director and wine enthusiast with a diploma in Wines and Spirits and a certified sommelier qualification. Wine is arguably the only drink on this planet that can inspire love, hate, snobbery, insecurity, fear, wonder, in just one sip. Not surprising then that wine can be mysteriously intimidating for those who are curious to know more about it. Combining my love of storytelling and wines, I am on a mission to make wines easier to understand and appreciate. One tongue-in-cheek story at a time. And what better genre to start this mission than a spy mystery? A parody of a spy mystery to be exact. And on that note, please remember that besides the wine information in this podcast, names, locations, and anything that sounds remotely real are purely a work of fiction. Like wine, the stories should not be taken too seriously. I hope you enjoy the story and in the process, also find out a bit more about wines. Don't forget to follow the podcast. Hashi was loud and indiscreet for a man overseeing the secretive counter-counter-intelligence unit of the ministry. He loudly announced that he was happy to help Rio Neil Ken. After all, the minister was a personal friend of his father. Thankfully, the discreet sommelier came over to serve them a bottle of Domaine de la Romani Conti, la Tache Grand Cru Monopole 2005. Hashi finally went quiet as he took a long sip of the $2,000 a bottle wine. <laughs> Your father has good tastes. Good thing I'm not paying for it. Catchy Ryo had thought, but kept the thought to himself. Tell me, what did he do to you? Ryo's face turned a shade darker. Can't plan it all along. He wanted Jing for himself the moment he saw Hashi her, nodded as I he savoured the legendary don't burgundy don't red wine. He wasn't it. listening to Ryo. He knew the whole story already. The minister had personally briefed him. He was just there for the wine. Hashi would have done it for free anyway. What no one knew was that he had been trying to avenge his own humiliation at the hands of that weasel Ken for years without success. And then, this just fell on his lap. Life is strange. What was the saying about karma? That the universe has a perfect accounting system or something? Don't worry, Ryokun. Everything will be fine. (laughs) Hashi laughed his trademark laugh. I know just the right person for the job. He's our top counter-intelligence counter guy in Singapore, Yu-san, or as he is normally called, Pak Yu. On the account that his wife is a well-known Indonesian opera singer. And as you know, Pak meaning san in Basa, Indonesia. Thank you, thank you, Hashi-san, thank you. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Hashi tried to sound modest and cool, But deep down inside, he wanted to burst out into a song and dance routine to celebrate Ken's impending downfall. Revenge was indeed sweeter when paired with a free bottle of Domaine de la Romane Conti wine. Park Yu was not on the ministry's official list of employees. He was a secretive contractor reporting directly to Hashi, who had called him on the ministry's secure line and told him to make this project his top priority. He wanted results fast. Park Yu assured him that he was already on it. Park Yu was born Yu La in Singapore. His father, Yu Park Ker, was a high-level ministry bureaucrat, and therefore, everyone had expected the young La Ki to follow in his footsteps. He went to all the right schools, got an all the right grades, and managed to win all the right scholarships for studies at all the right universities. One of the young man's pivotal moments in life happened in the 80s when he was doing his postgraduate studies at an Ivy League college in the US. The college had a nascent but full snobby wine club that he tried to get into repeatedly, but was rejected. But I am THE top student! Lucky had screamed at the club president, but no go. His grades meant nothing here. The most important thing to him and his parents and his future bosses in Singapore was worthless in the Fledgling College Wine Club. Gaining membership into that small club became an obsession. In his mind, membership would get him the needed street cred that he so badly craved. He would spy on the club members and the activities. One day, he spotted a cheap-looking newsletter that the members seemed to treasure and worship. They quoted from it every chance they had. It was always Parker said this or Parker said that. Who is this Parker person? Is he a professor? The newsletter was, of course, The Wine Advocate, and Parker, its founder, the lawyer turned wine critic Robert Parker, who pioneered the easy-to-understand 100-point system for rating wines. Once Lucky found out about this, there was no looking back. Armed with Parker's list of 100-pointer wines, he made it his life mission to acquire and or drink every bottle ever listed. Who needs to be a master of wine or master sommelier with this list? Park Yu had marveled. I just had the screaming eagle last night, Park Yu declared to the wine club's president one day. Oh really, we had a sublime bottle of Auvernois Noir's Aboua Plussard. Oh really? Is that a hundred-pointer? This oft-repeated refrain from Park Yu would end all further conversations. It had strangely made him feel superior and smarter than the smug wine club members. What he did not realize and nobody bothered to tell him was that appreciating wines based on a competitive chart didn't require any special skills or knowledge. His street cred actually fell in those years. That, however, did not stop him from graduating top of his class. He returned to Singapore and straight into a plump position in a government ministry. At that time, Lucky had thought that he would end up being invited to partake in politics and might become a minister or even the Prime Minister one day. At worst, he thought he might settle for a powerful permanent secretary position. Park Yu was undoubtedly smart, but what he didn't realise, and nobody dared to tell him because of his position and family connections, was that he had become by then an arrogant narcissist with a warped sense of humour. Now, this didn't happen overnight though. Young Lucky's parents had brought him up with all the privileges of a well-off family smart baby training program from birth, extra tutoring from top professors from primary school. It was not a surprise that he carried a smart-alecky attitude with him in everything that he did. Lucky also thought that he had a smart sense of humor and would often crack jokes that no one understood. He was initially dismissive of their ignorance, but with time, this lack of appreciation for his intelligence and humor grew dark and twisted young Lucky into an arrogant boy with a constant flow of acerbic and sarcastic comments that he alone thought were funny. When he was only 15, during a class where the form teacher Miss Lim was discussing about everyone's future plans in life, Yang Park Yu, the top student in his age group, and with it, the I am smarter than you attitude, was asked a question. Lucky, what do you want to be when you grow up? asked an earnest Miss Lim. Lucky already had a cheeky smile on his face when he stood up. He looked around the room at his earnest classmates, wiped away his smile, and with a serious face, answered. I want to be a lozenge, Miss Lim. What? The classroom full of straight-laced boys looked at each other. Some sniffed contemptuously. A what? A lozenge. Like the medicinal thingy you take when you have a sore throat? Yes, that is correct, Miss Lim. Um, okay. Tell me then, why would you want to grow up to be a lozenge? Cocky you lucky, suppressed a smile, kept a straight face, and with an air of superior wit and sense of humor, loudly proclaimed, I want to be a lozenge because on the label of a packet of lozenge, you will see the instructions, one to be sucked three times a day. Yu had sat down smugly and waited for adulation. Instead, there was dead silence. He had expected Ms Lim to appreciate the smart beyond his age humour and praise from his fellow classmates. Instead, he ended up at the principal's office and was slapped with a one-week suspension from school for use of indecent language in the classroom. This and other similar incidents throughout his life had a lasting negative impact on Park Yu. He grew increasingly insecure but hid it under a veneer of sneers and an oversized ego. He carried this attitude with him even as he was moving up the ladder in the ministry. It was not missed by his colleagues and bosses. But no one told him. Again. So he went along in life and work happily thinking that a top job in the ministry was waiting for him. A middling director position was where he ended up. He was not invited to join politics or move to a more senior position in the ministry. He stayed in the role for years and slowly his sense of resentment grew. He felt somehow short by life. Why? He had done all the right things. So why was he not at all the right places? He started to see other people's successes as reflections of his own failure. He grew into an angry man, still ignorant of his many shortcomings. In time Park Yu left the ministry and set up his own consulting business. And business was surprisingly good. Credit to Park Yu, he had managed to channel some of his resentment and insecurity into being a meticulous finder of faults in other people. He was a formidable investigator involved in many secretive projects for his clients. He took immense pleasure in finding the weak points of people, especially those who were deemed to be the smartest or best in the business he took pleasure in tearing them down bit by bit. He loved his job and would have done it for free, but his clients rewarded him handsomely. This allowed him to continue to feed his obsession for collecting and or consuming every single bottle of 100-pointer wines ever listed by Robert Parker. One of his biggest clients was Hashi, his old friend from graduate school in the US. You get full access to the embassy! Hashi had said to Park Yu. I'm counting on you. Thank you for your trust, Hashi. I will do my best. This man Ken is a slippery customer, so be alert at all times. Always. Thank you, Park Yu. The voluminous dossier on the spy hunter Ken, together with embassy access cards and other top-level clearances, came in a hand-delivered box a few days later. As always, Hashi had included a lovely bottle of wine with the box. This time, it was the Aman Rousseau-Sham Shambetan Grand Cru 2009. Park Yu smiled. Not quite a 100-pointer, but it will do. Park Yu knew Ken, only by reputation of course, and had expected a formidable opponent. Which is why it came as a surprise to find that he was not at all alert. Park Yu and his team tailed him for weeks without a single problem. He was initially worried that it could be a trap of some sort but then realized that Ken was so madly in love with this gorgeous woman Jing that nothing else seemed to matter to him. Just like Ken, Park Yu had surmised that Jing was not a spy. He and his team did exhaustive checks on her and followed her for weeks. She was clean. If she was really a spy, she must have had a top-notch support team. It was not long before Park Yu felt confident that he can confront the counterintelligence chief, face to face. Ken was whistling a soft tune as he happily walked along the familiar dark tunnel in the basement of the embassy towards his secret wine cellar. He was thinking about how fascinating dinner with Jing was earlier when he suddenly noticed that the lights in the cellar were switched on. What the Ferrari? Ken thought. Then he froze. A figure slowly emerged out of the misty darkness. Ken was confused. Who could have found out about his most well kept secret? Who's there? The figure was silent as it moved slowly towards the dim light. Suddenly, Park Yu's sarcastically smiley face came into focus. Ah, Ken san. We finally meet. I have heard so much about you. Ken struggled to keep his cool demeanor. What was Counterintelligence doing in his wine cellar. He took a long second and proclaimed politely Ah, Park Yu san, a pleasure to finally meet you too. Park Yu would do, Ken san. Ken would do, Park Yu.